said, one of my favorite times of the week. Another two middle-aged men in Cleveland episode. We're up to 65. Yeah. How can I remember this episode? What number? Who can you think of that wore the number 65? Well, Brown's 65 would be Larry Ogunjobi. He's not. Yeah, that would be a good one. He's That'd not with good. us anymore. Yeah. On the team. Not, oh, team. on the team. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know if they've reissued We'll have to come back to everyone on that. Ken Dworsnik, Ted Klopp. <laughs> Ted, big week. Yeah. We had a name change for the Cleveland baseball team. Yes. Many people probably know by now they have come up with the name, the guardians. Mm -hmm. Obviously your thoughts. I am largely indifferent. It doesn't make me any more of a fan. Doesn't make me any less of a fan. Doesn't make me want to go out and buy any gear. I think a lot of people are getting caught up saying that the team is named after these statues on the bridge. That's part of it. But if you listen to Paul Dolan, that's not the, the, that's not all they're named after. It's certainly yes. part of it, but that's not the whole deal. So um, I think they could have done better. I mean, why did we not mention, like, couldn't we have done something with Superman, superheroes? That might have been exciting. You know, we're the home of Superman. Yeah, yeah it's true. We are. Yeah. You know, I I don't know. Uh, when, like, when I think of Cleveland, I don't think of Guardians. You know, when I think of, you know, New York, Metropolitans makes sense. Sure. <clears throat> the Marlins, Florida makes sense. It's connected. Yep. yep. Guardians, I don't feel the connection that others do, but whatever. How about you? I'm kind of with you on that. I mean, in all honesty, you know, that we've had the Cavaliers for a long time. I mean, what's the real connection between Cleveland True. and Cavaliers and all that True. stuff? And obviously they could have went the route of naming the team after a, a former coach or player, kind of like what the Cleveland Browns did. But I don't know. I'll give it a shot. You know, I guess they're going to keep the same color scheme as what the uh, certainly the Indians uh, emblem is and all that stuff. So we're going to have the red, the blue and the white and all that. So I don't know. At this point in time. Gosh, almighty, I just want a team that can win. Holy yeah. cow, it's been rough to watch. I'm supposed to go later this week to watch a game, and I'm not going to lie. I'm dreading <laughs> it a little bit just because I know more than likely I'm not going to see a win. Now, there's many reasons for that, but we will see. But will I support them? Sure. If they yeah. win games, and I think after a while, just like everything else, change is hard for people, and the Indians' name has been around for a very long time. It means a lot to a lot of different people. I get that. And I understand that, but unfortunately, these are the circumstances the organization was under. They needed to change the name, and this is what they came up, and we'll see what happens. That's kind of where I'm at. So. How about the Olympics? You watching the Olympics? You excited about the Olympics? Anything? I guess, but once again, we're still in the same realm as I, I – and this sounds so bad to say this. I feel like we're in the same realm we were in the fall, that – the stories are not necessarily about the athletes and their performance. Right. It's an update on who has COVID and who doesn't. Right. Which it's, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's disappointing. You know, I just, I wish we were past all this, but unfortunately we're not and for many different reasons, but am I excited for the Olympics? Yes. I'm very excited. I wish our basketball team was better. I, I don't know how we can lose to France. And I know our gymnastics squad kind of struggled the first round in women's gymnastics, but We've had other sports we've done very well with, with softball and things like that. So, no, I'm, I'm always excited for the Olympics. But once again, we're in the same realm. 
there's no fans at these events. There's Very nothing. Odd. Very you odd. just have all these competitors and coaches kind of going through the mix. And I know television's trying to do the best they can to try to hide that, to make it seem like there's people. But once again, we're not. So we're not. It's still different. I know it was very important to compete because these poor athletes didn't have the opportunity last year because it was moved. But once again, it's still, I don't know. The whole thing's just kind of awkward. That's kind of where I'll leave it. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I, can, can we, can we take the, the COVID and the politics out of it and oh. just have people compete? Can we do that, please? I don't really, you know, uh, do I want to see them kneel? No, I don't really want to see them kneel. I just want to see them compete. And yeah. if they're not, if we're going to do too much of the other stuff, then I don't care. I don't care. But what I do care about is what's coming up on this show. We have some good Samaritans to tell you about. They saved a woman's life. That's going to be in our good news segment. A group of cornhole players are playing a very long game. Details in overachievers. Tell you about a Florida woman going skinny dipping. It's where she did it. That's a problem. Oh boy. We're going to explain that in Klopp's clips. Is CM Punk returning to pro wrestling? Steve Muehlhausen from DAZN.com going to give us the latest on that. He'll get in the ring with us. And we'll talk with pickleballer Lynn Cherry. We're going to find out what pickleball is, where it got its name, and much more about pickleball. Oh, no, not a dad joke. What kind of noise does a witch's vehicle make? Witch's vehicle. I don't know. What kind of noise does it make? Broom. Broom. That joke was horrible. Can we have good news? A driver on a Florida causeway has a police officer and some good Samaritans to thank for saving her life. The driver's car flipped two or three times. Before landing half submerged in the Indian River. Oh. One bystander called 911 and flagged down an officer in the middle of a traffic stop. Officer Peter Dulcey jumped into the water where another good Samaritan was already in the river, partially inside the vehicle, holding the unconscious driver's head above water. Oh, wow. Another officer arrived. They were able to pry out a window and drag the officer to the land. She wasn't breathing at the time. Officers administered CPR. The driver game breathing again, taken to a local hospital, and now doing all right. A portion of the rescue was caught on the officer's body cameras. How about wow. that, Ken? That is outstanding. Just taking a situation where you don't know what's going on and not even thinking about what's going on, you just go out there and try to help people. That is, that is amazing. Hats off. Hats off to all those folks. Amazing. Definitely, that is some good news. Blah, blah, blah. 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 Our guest today is part of a new sport that is growing in popularity by leaps and bounds. I'm talking about pickleball. I don't know what that is. Ken, do you know what that is? I'm familiar with the name, but I'm going to need a description from an expert is what I'm going to need. Fortunately, we have an expert with us. So let's talk with Lynn Cherry. Lynn, thanks for your time. So let's get right to the brass tacks. What is pickleball? 
What is pickleball? It is the hottest sport in the United States, and it's a great game, very easy to play. Typically, most people play doubles. There's four people on the court, and it's kind of a cross between badminton, tennis, and ping pong. And a paddle is used to hit the ball, and the catch is the game is played with a wiffle ball. So a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people tend to think of it as, you know, maybe kind of a, you know, it's, it's a sport, but it's got a funny name. You play with the wiffle ball, but uh, it's just growing in popularity by leaps and bounds because it is easy to play. Anybody can play, you know, regardless of whether or not they've ever played any sports and people, if you walk by a court and, uh, you see people playing, you'll pretty much be invited to play right away. They'll put a paddle in your hand and it's, uh, it's just going crazy. The funny part about this, Lynn, it's, it's coincidental. We're talking to you to today about this. I have a very good friend who was my boss at one point in time. The first time I ever heard about pickleball, his wife was playing pickleball. It was like six or seven years ago and he's based out of Knoxville, Tennessee. So recently more and more now through my Facebook page and Instagram and Twitter, there's all these people that I know that are playing pickleball. How, if I'm interested in playing pickleball and learning more about the rules and all that stuff, what's the best way for me to get involved with a, a group and find out where I can play? You know, I had a feeling you might ask that question. And I did a little bit of research because in the Cleveland <laughs> area, in fact, there was just a pickleball tournament this last uh, week in, in Cleveland there. But uh, if you want more information on the sport and want to find out where to play, you can actually go to my website. It's uh, pickleballfire.com forward slash courts, and you can find different places to play. You can also go to pickleballfire.com forward slash instructors, and you can find people who are actually teaching the sport in your area. So it's, it's, it's absolutely everywhere. I first found out about pickleball when I moved from North Texas to Connecticut in 2018. And um, here it's just, it's just absolutely crazy. So how did you get started? You, you moved in and you saw it or were you invited to play? Tell us about that. Actually, when I moved here, I was looking for something to do during the cold winter months indoors. And I happened to look at what was going on at the recreation center. And I'm like, pickleball. I have never heard of pickleball. So I immediately got on YouTube, looked at a couple videos and I'm like, Oh, I'm sure I'll love this game because I used to play racquetball and a little bit of tennis. And, uh, I, most people who play the sport for the first time get literally immediately hooked. It is so crazy. Huh. So Lynn, with the game itself, and I've seen bits and pieces here and there, as you talked about, if you want to find something, you always find it on YouTube, let's be honest. <laughs> so the court itself, and I, I've seen some pictures and videos, the court itself, are you basically playing on a tennis court? Is that basically what you're playing? At? Is that the size of it? No, it's much smaller than that. And that's one of the appeals of the game. It's actually 20 feet by 44 feet, which is the same as a badminton court. Okay. And, you know, that's another reason why it definitely attracts some middle-aged and, and up players is because of the smaller court. You know, as an example, I've got like no ACL on one of my knees and I pretty much thought I was done with court sports, you know, about 10 years ago, but uh, I'm able to play pickleball because it is on the smaller court. It doesn't require as much movement, but it also 
at higher levels can be a very fast game. So having really fast reactions is definitely helpful. I like to get to the uh, probing deep questions here when I do these interviews. So my next question is, I don't see a pickle anywhere in this game. So how does the game get called pickleball? That's actually a great question. And, and back in 1965, when the sport was first invented by three fathers, so actually the sport's been around a long time, but it's just been totally growing in popularity. But there's a couple stories about how the sport actually got its name. One of them is uh, Joan Pritchard, who was the wife of one of the men who began the sport, used to be a, I guess, a, a rower. And apparently there's something in rowing called a pickleball pickle boat. And so the pickleball, the pickle boat is something which is uh, usually the team that's losing is called the pickle boat. And she kind of, and that's usually because it's got kind of a mismatched crew and they don't work well together. And, you know, she had thought that, you know, as pickleball, it's kind of, kind of ping pong, badminton and tennis combined, that was a good name for the sport. But the other story, which this one may or may not be true, is that they had a dog who they was called Pickle and hence the name Pickleball. So I think the former story is true. But, um, you know, none, nonetheless, a lot of people kind of look at the name of Pickleball and say, why are we playing the sport with this crazy name? But once you get involved in it, just who cares about the name? Well, Lynn, as a former journalist, there's one philosophy I go by. You never let the facts stand in the way of a good story. That's <laughs> that's key on these kinds of things. So I like the story about the dog. How about you, Ken? Oh, that's a great story. So my question, obviously, here in the U.S., it's growing by leaps and bounds. Is this turning into an international game as well? I mean, if people in Europe and obviously other areas uh, you know, as they say, across the pond. Is this something that's growing in popularity there as well? Absolutely. In fact, in 2022, in uh, the Austin, Texas area in May, there'll be a world pickleball games literally with people from everywhere throughout the world. Oh, wow. I've had a chance to uh, interview Karen Mitchell, Mitchell from Pickleball England and it's, it's growing there now just about as quickly in the U.S. And actually, I've got a friend, Scott Golden, who is um, going to a pickleball tournament in Czechoslovakia uh, wow. in, in the next, uh, I think, in September. So, um, yeah. And, and if anybody is an NBA fan, uh, Luka Doncic, who is from Europe, uh, is also a pickleball player. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. Well, as this sport grows, and we've just had the start of the uh, Olympics this past week, there are a lot of unique sports that have been in the Olympics, are now, maybe they got taken out, maybe they're trying to get added in. You think pickleball uh, has a chance to be an Olympic sport at some point? That is absolutely on everybody's radar, and that's one of the reasons why they're having the World Pickleball Games in Austin in 2022, as they're doing it in the format that's needed to try and get the sport accepted into the Olympic Games. So that is absolutely on everybody's plan. Well, Lynn, my final question, and Ted, Ted might have one more. I have two young kids. My athleticism is, I'll say it this way, limited. So this would be a great game for all of us to play. If I want to buy 
a pickleball and I buy some rackets, where do I go? Where, where is it that I need to go to, to get something like that? You know, I would actually go to Amazon because they tend to create packages that gives you everything that you need. Um, so at, at a minimum, you know, you can get the paddles and, and the balls kind of together as a set. There's uh, wood paddles, which I don't necessarily recommend. It's nicer. Just, you know, you can still spend, you know, 50 or $60 and get four paddles and a bunch of balls. And, you know, that gets you started with your, with your kids too. Awesome. So the starting budget for this, if we just want to play it in the driveway or wherever, would be about 50, 60 bucks. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it would be uh, maybe a little bit more because you would need a, a net. They've got, okay. you know, there's a 10 foot net that you can buy. There's a there and then the regulation size is 20 uh, feet. But uh, you can st I started off with a 10 foot one. It works just fine. So budget, maybe a hundred bucks to, to get yeah. started. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and if you, if there's, you know, courts around you, which I do believe there are, you know, then you don't have to worry about the net setup and it definitely makes it uh, pretty uh, inexpensive to get started. Outstanding. Well, Lynn, this is very interesting. We appreciate it. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll uh, have to check back in if we start playing pickleball and uh, give an update. Uh, we could, uh, can I have a good name for a, a team that we could have? Oh, go we ahead. Could, I'm ready. We could be two middle-aged men in Cleveland. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's that'd be, that'd be my That's suggestion for the yes. name. Hey, Lynn, thanks for your time. If folks want to learn more, give the website one more time, any social media that you're on that kind of thing. Yeah. The website is a uh, pickleballfire.com. You can always email me Lynn at pickleballfire.com and you can find pickleball fire on Facebook. Awesome. Lynn, thanks very much. And uh, best of luck uh, pickleballing. I don't know. Is that a word? If I think I've invented a word there, but good luck. All right. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Ken. Ted, time for the overachievers. Mm. You and well, me? Uh, you didn't make it again. That's oh, a couple weeks in it. a row. It's certainly not myself. I've... Who's writing this? I'm not sure. Okay. Well, a group of cornhole players say they have passed the Guinness World Record for the longest game of cornhole. You're familiar with that game, correct? I am familiar with Cornhole. The group playing in the gymnasium at Lord Central Catholic School in Nebraska says they passed the time to beat of 20, <laughs> 26 <laughs> hours and 13 minutes on Friday, but they were still going. Like the their, Facebook, their Facebook page has not offered any updates to say how long they went, but I'm guessing they have stopped at this point. <laughs> Well, if they haven't, that's a heck of a run. <laughs> 26 hours, 26 13 hours. minutes. Oh, yeah. boy, that's, uh, that's a long time. You think Very we could time. do this podcast for 26 hours and 14 minutes? I think we could shut down by Zoom. We'd have to yeah, go. Probably. That's probably uh, it, yes. That's my guess. Well, back to the cornhole tournament that was 26 hours, 13 minutes. Yes. One of the players... Andy Federoy says the group already talked about trying to break another world record next year by holding the world's largest cornhole tournament. The number to beat is 167 teams. Oh my gosh. They're going to have to play this tournament. at like a, a stadium. They'll have to go to the Nebraska, the Cornhusker stadium yeah. to play this event. Oh yeah. my gosh. Wow. 167. That's crazy. Wow. Unreal. Uh, I hope we get an update on them. 
Oh, maybe, we'll do our best. We'll just look at their Facebook asleep. page. Yeah. Maybe they fell asleep and didn't update it. I don't know. It's a possibility. Cleveland! This is for you! Well, another edition of This Week in Cleveland Sports, July 31st, 1932. We go way back on this one, Ted. The Cleveland Indians play their first game at Municipal Stadium, losing to the Philadelphia Athletics one to nothing. As uh-huh. Mickey Cochran's RBI single ended the pitcher's duel between Cleveland's Mel Harder, how about that, and Philly's wow. Lefty Grove. We're going to bring in our Cleveland sports historian, Dusty Sloan. And Dusty, what can you tell us about this game? Obviously, many people knew that Mel Harder started it, but uh, didn't realize that Mickey Cochran was the one that got the RBI single for the Phillies. Well, there were quite a few things that you take away from this game. First of all, in 1932, a one nothing game lasts less than two hours. We'd love to see a lot more games only take an hour and 50 minutes. <laughs> that's the first thing you we take away from now. this They're game. Really Secondly, the, the obviously brand new municipal stadium, it was a crowd of almost 77,000 people. You're obviously not going to get that at uh, Progressive Field any longer, but one nothing ball game and the, and the names, like you said, Mickey Cochran, Jimmy Fox played for Philadelphia. Lefty oh, wow. Grove got the shutout on the Indian side. You had Earl Averill and Luke Sewell and Mel Harder. I mean, the, the names are just amazing how many Hall of Fame type players were in this game. And it started what ended up being a six decade run for the Indians at municipal stadium. And the one thing I saw reading about it on the uh, Sabre website, the baseball researchers website, the national league president said it is the last word in baseball parks. Well, obviously Hmm. six months or six decades later, it wasn't quite that, but he said it was (laughs) a great thing for baseball. So we kind of put Cleveland on the map a little bit when it opened up that long ago. Well, I, I, I'm not surprised that it was a bit of a pitcher's duel because the ballpark at Cleveland Municipal Stadium, the field was not exactly small. No, it was. It certainly was not small. And the other thing that the Saber story also talks about is that the baseball was erected on a landfill. I don't know if that was the best idea to put a new ballpark on a landfill. We've obviously uh, had our ups and downs in many sports in that ballpark and then the subsequent ballpark that was put on that site later but here we are yeah all right more more testing of trivia here for my friend dusty sloan so we talk about the distance of the outfield and all that kind of stuff do you know the indians at one point in time moved in the walls from center field and right field and all that stuff they moved the fences in do you know the player they moved the fences in for? Do you remember this, I actually, Dusty? I actually do not know that, but I could. But I actually know a piece of trivia the other direction. I know well, the why guy, they moved the fences back. Okay, I'd like to hear that one. Give me that one first. If you remember, in the early 90s, the Indians had a center fielder by the name of Alex Cole. Yes, they did. This That's was correct. free Kenny Lofton. Yes. And they decided to move the fences back because he was so fast and he could cover so much ground that they thought it was an advantage to move the fences back so that obviously it would be harder to hit home runs and Alex Cole could run everything down in center field. And obviously that was extremely short lived because then eventually <laughs> was we ended up year, with Kenny wasn't Lofton. It? Who could do the was that one year? Thing. I think it only lasted one year because he had that good one year. And then I, I think oh. he might've gotten hurt. And then eventually we got Kenny Lofton. So 
there were, there were always crazy things going on at municipal stadium, including the a, yes, yes, hundreds of thousands of people who said they saw the uh, perfect game by Lenny Barker when there's only about <laughs> seven thousand. But that's one of my favorites. Now Alex Cole with the Rex Specs, man, I remember him. Yes, he, I was a fan favorite of him. That guy could run, no doubt. He can he run. Could like a son of a gun, but he couldn't hit, but yeah, what a, what a place that was. Obviously I think a lot more people certainly think about it for baseball, but I, I don't know. I think a lot of that with that stadium, because a lot of the teams later in those decades, the good teams were with the Browns. And I, I think I remember a lot of the, the memories there with that stadium with the Browns. And I, I think many other people, would you agree with me on that dusty? Without question. When I think about the stadium, I, I hardly ever think about baseball it's got to be you know red right 88 the drive the fumble all that stuff but you also think about the double overtime game in 86 against the Jets when Mark Gastineau hits Bernie Kosar late at the end of regulation what allows him to go to overtime and things like that so the Bernie saying that it was painted dirt and not grass and he was able to draw plays up in the dirt you think about things like that with Municipal Stadium you, yeah, wait I, a minute. Hold it. Hold it. You don't think about Jose Canseco bouncing the ball off of his head <laughs> or Aki <laughs> Calavito uh, hitting home runs or Mark hard hitting Mark Witten throwing guys out from uh, 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 Lake Erie and uh, hard hitting. We, go, yeah. we, we, hard. we can go deep in the uh, Indians name section. Well, I don't think we have that kind of time. Yeah. No. No, no, yeah. Uh, no, as long as you weren't behind a pole, uh, you could probably see most of the game. But yeah, the old obstructed view. That was my yeah. favorite. I loved it. Well, that is another this week in Cleveland. Sports. Cleveland, this is for you. The most trusted name in journalism, Klopp's Clips. More news, Ken. News that maybe you didn't read about anywhere else. A 13-year-old girl riding the spring shot thrill ride in New Jersey, part of a birthday party for a friend. The ride it shoots passengers into the air at speeds of more than 75 miles an hour. Oh, my gosh. Sounds like something I'll never be on. Nonetheless, <laughs> Kylie Holman got more of a thrill than she expected as the ride took off, a seagull flew into her face. Oh, no. Jeez. Amazingly, the bird and the girl are okay. Wow. She had a there's Randy Johnson type of, of situation. This. What she had. Wow. Yeah, there's some video of this. We'll put it on uh, Twitter and our social media. You can see the bird is there, and she just kind of pulls it off, and the ride keeps going. That's crazy. Yeah. How about that? Good thing the seagull didn't make any kind of deposit. <clears throat> no, that's true. And I'm glad everyone's okay, including yeah. the seagull. A Florida woman arrested after being caught skinny dipping in a stranger's pool. Stranger's pool. Huh. Homeowner knew something was wrong when he spotted clothing near the pool. Then he spotted the naked woman in the pool. The woman was... <laughs> shockingly confrontational oh my. police and refused to tell them her name, but they got around that. They ID'd her from previous jail booking photos. Mm. So apparently this wasn't her first time running around with the uh, police. There is no word on why she wound up in the pool. Ken, you have any uh, thought on what led her to the pool? 
No, but I will say this. It wasn't mentioned in your story. Maybe we'll have to do a follow-up. I wonder if alcohol was involved. Uh, yeah, well, you know. That's my question. Meth is an interesting drug. Yes, it is. Yes, a 19-year-old Massachusetts driver apparently swerved to avoid hitting a squirrel and instead ran into a cottage built by a relative of President Lincoln in 1650. Half the vehicle ended up inside the cottage. Nobody was hurt. The homeowners planned to hire specialists to fix a sign in the home. The driver cited for failing to stay in Mark Lane's. But the squirrel apparently is okay. Oh, the heck with the with the four hundred year old house. Five hundred. All life is important. Let's be honest. Yes. It sounds like it's just a mistake, and coincidentally, it was just President Lincoln's <laughs> cottage from sixteen fifty. That's what you're looking for. Oh. Customs and Border Patrol they confiscated an airline passenger's luggage in Houston with fifteen live giant snails inside. Oh boy. 15 live giant snails. A passenger traveling from Nigeria found a, uh, uh, the investigators found the snails in three ziplocked plastic bags. USDA has the snails now, calls them one of the most damaging snails in the world. They can apparently grow to be almost eight inches long and five inches wide, about the size of an adult's fist. They are also known to carry a parasite called the rat lungworm that can cause rare forms of meningitis in humans. No word on why they were being transported to the U.S. Oh, my. Well, I will say this. We've heard a couple different stories about this with people trying to bring live animals and all that kind of stuff. And these are only the stories that we get wind of. Can you imagine how much of this happens without exactly. us even knowing it? I mean, yep. that's that's got to be ridiculous, the amount of stuff that's brought over. Yep. Wow. Crazy. The Maine Drug Enforcement Agency. It appears to be a theme here of things hmm. moving around that shouldn't be. They got a tip and stopped a car on I-295 where a drug-sniffing dog found four pounds of cocaine. Whoa. Two pounds disguised as a marble cake with coffee grounds to hide the smell. That's, oh yeah. You're going to try that. points for ingenuity, right? Yeah. Two people arrested facing multiple charges. The cocaine has a street value of about $200,000. Unbelievable. Unreal. Well, that is this week's collection of Klopp's Clips. Time to get our wrestling fix. Time to get in the ring with Steve Muehlhausen from DAZN, D-A-Z-N.com. And before we get to the questions that we have for uh, these last couple of weeks and what's going on in the squared circle, I understand that uh, you have an update on a conversation we had, I think it was about a month ago, yes. about Virgil and Hulk Hogan's daughter taking a picture together. We talked about this. We're... Virgil took Charger 20 bucks to take a picture. We talked about it on the show, and there's been some follow-up. Is that right, Steve? So Ted posted the link and everything of what we were talking about on that on that particular week. And I tweeted. You tweeted, I subtweeted, and then Virgil slid in is the cool kids saying, <laughs> slid into my DMs. 
and wasn't too thrilled with the fact that we were talking about him charging Brooke Hogan twenty dollars. Uh, okay, he, he took the time to listen. Yeah, which hi Virgil, we, we how you doing? You. And he goes, "Well, why'd you say that about me, bro?" And I'm like, "Did it not happen? Did you not charge her twenty dollars?" And he's like, "Well, how did you find that out?" And I'm like, "Because I tweeted it, pal." You, I'm like I said to him, you tweeted it out. I have How'd a find con- out. Well, you said it. I have a contact through her for her, and I reached out, and they told me, yeah. He's like, well, next source? time, bro. You know, you just why don't you just message me, and you know, and I'll tell you the truth. Virgil, yeah. we're on the radar of Virgil. Yeah, I well, think we should be quaking in our boots. Hey, we second sourced this. Our main source was, well, Virgil, <laughs> and yeah. Do you need a better source than that? I don't know. All right. Well, let's talk about some things that maybe some sources are talking about in wrestling. The rumor bill here is that CM Punk and Brian Danielson, formerly Daniel Bryan, are expected to sign, have signed. They're going to AEW, according Wait, to the, the rumor mill. So, what? Steve, can you can you confirm, deny, or update these these vicious rumors that are circulating. I first will give for the CM Punk story credit the Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful.com. He, he was all over that one. And then Brian Danielson just has been floating, kind of been floating around. And, you know, Bodyslam.net had reported he had signed. No one wasn't really sure of what was going on. From what I know as of a little bit ago, Brian Danielson has signed. They don't want anyone knowing, but he has signed. So we're breaking news here on Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland. Steve Muehlhausen confirms Brian Danielson has signed with AEW. This is big stuff. He has signed. He will be allowed, just like John Moxley and Chris Jericho, he will be allowed to wrestle for New Japan and any independents that don't conflict with anything going on with AEW. The plan from from what other websites had reported was he would debut Wednesday, September the 22nd at the AEW's big stadium show at the Arthur Ashe Stadium in uh, Queens, New York, the home of the U.S. The US Open Tennis. In okay. terms of CM Punk, I've got no idea. Okay. No idea. I can't get nothing concrete on this one. I've <laughs> I've seen some places report he signed. I haven't been able to confirm that. People around Punk really aren't saying too much, but he did a good troll job. He's following now <laughs> AEW, Tony Khan, WWE, and Vince McMahon. Uh-huh. I do know he had no interest in going back to WWE, and the feeling was mutual. They did reach out. He had had a conversation with Paul Levesque. It was like within the last six to 12 months. At that time, he just, he had so many things going on, which he still does. He's like, I'm good. But then with AEW really starting to pick up steam, realize, okay, these guys aren't just a flash and a pain. These guys are for real. They got some, they got some sustainability. They started talking like in April. He's been talking back and forth with Tony Khan. Now, I know he's been back and forth with Cody. He's friends with the Young Bucks. As far as I know, he has not signed. It doesn't mean that he hasn't. I want to make that clear to everybody. I just, just I can't get nothing straight on him. Or with Brian Danielson, it was a little, 
his Ask, circle isn't as tight. Check with Virgil. <laughs> Steve, staying with AEW. Now, there, here's a guy who certainly don't want to tick off. So I'm just going to make the question real quick. <laughs> okay. Because he could throw me from here to Cincinnati. What about the former Braun Strowman? What's going on with him? And is he coming to AEW? Now, what have you heard? This is an interesting one. And I'm glad you guys brought this up because, and, and this is where speculation started of him going back to WWE. As I asked right away, and they're like, they're like, there's been some interest on their end just because of their feeling like Brian Danielson and CM Punk are going to be going to AEW. So they're like, we don't want to lose everybody. I do know that he met, and this is a scoop. This is an exclusive. Here I'm we go. Because oh, I just Dang. found this out within the last 20 minutes. Because I was just asking because he was at the bare knuckle fighting championship show on Friday night with Paige, Paige Van Sant was the headliner. He was there, and so was Tony Khan. Hmm. They had a conversation. I don't know fully what the conversation entailed. They were sitting next to each other and they were talking for a while. Hmm. So hmm. I know Mark Henry has been talking with Braun Strowman, trying to convince him to come in. Sure. Did did Braun Strowman charge Tony Khan 20 bucks to sit next to him? <laughs> I wouldn't think it would be the other way around. Okay. All right, well, let's jump over to WWE. John Cena and Goldberg. You told us John Cena was coming back. Goldberg also back, both apparently challenging for titles at SummerSlam. And I know this is a big event. They bring out all the stars. and They have to fill a stadium. But, I mean, John Cena's not too old, and he's a big movie star. Bill Goldberg's 55 years old. What's, what's, wanna, I, I mean, I know he's still over and all that, and he looks like a million bucks, but I, am I, am I the only one that is wondering, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're bringing back Goldberg at the expense of some of these guys that have been working all year. No, you hit it right on the head. I, I, I don't get it. And what they told me and they did their re market research and, and you noticed when he came out, People love him. Yeah. Yep. He got a big reaction. He sells a lot of merch still. And nope. the, the market research shows people really want to see him. People are going A, because it's SummerSlam. B, because it's the first major WWE pay-per-view with fame, with a full capacity crowd. And number three, and I ticket sales, they sold a couple thousand more tickets after this match got announced. John Cena and Roman Reigns. People are go aren't buying a ticket to see Bobby Lashley and Bill Goldberg, but they're going a route that makes zero sense. John Cena, fantastic news. You got a big mainstream attraction. He's here, but he's selling to like house show attendant. I know for Cleveland, I know they sold a couple extra thousand tickets. Yeah, it was about two thousand extra tickets. The house shows weren't looking good for over the weekend. Cena coming back help house has helped house show attendance tremendously. And all the events he's scheduled at right now, attendance is up. I, yep. I have a I have a quick story about John Cena before we get to our, our next question. My kids, we have one of those uh, DVD players in the uh, minivan. Okay. 
my wife has one of their favorites is uh, Scooby-Doo stuff. Ooh. And as you may know, yeah. uh, they have Scooby-Doo WrestleMania. Yes. And so that's as close to wrestling as my wife will allow them to get. So she bought this disc and, you know, so there's the, the Scooby-Doo theme and all these other songs in there. Of all the songs, my, my youngest son is seven and he, he'll, you know, sing periodically. Of all the songs he chooses, she's driving there in the car, and all of a sudden from the back seat she hears <laughs> So she called me and told me about that. So yeah. That is outstanding. What's going on with the ratings? So WWE is winning the overall numbers, as I think many of us could probably figure out, but AEW is leading in the 18 to 49 male demographic, which is the demographic you want to be in. Is there a shift now between people maybe leaning more towards AEW than they have in the past as opposed to WWE? 100%. I was just having this conversation with a really good friend of mine last night. We were talking about this. And because you, me and him were talking about Punk and Danielson. And I'm like, that's going to get them over the top. I really feel like just because those are the people's fans. Yeah. They cater to our demographic. And that mo- you've seen that momentum, especially since, you know, fans are back. Now you can, you can just see the difference. You know, both shows are doing well since fans have been back for the one week's hard to gauge, but numbers are up. We're up for AEW numbers have been up for Sm- number was up good for SmackDown and the number was good for raw. It's going to be kind of hard these next couple weeks to kind of get a gauge because of the Olympics Everyone's going to be watching. So it's more of who doesn't have a sharp decline. I think that's going to really tell us where these companies are really at. Because we know what they can be. How are they going to be when the deck is stacked against them? And it's the Olympics is just a juggernaut. The tide is happening, Ken. It's shifting towards AEW. It really, really is. I wouldn't be shocked by the end of the year. If Dynamite's doing a better rating than Raw overall, I would not be surprised. All right. Time for Wrestling Rewind. July 17th, 2011. CM Punk wins the WWE title from John Cena at Money in the Bank in Punk's hometown, Chicago. At the time... Fans believed that CM Punk's contract was expiring at the end of that show. So what do you recall about that, Steve? That was, I believe they, they wound up making a deal with him earlier in the day, and Correct. but they kept it under wraps and, and allowed him to win the title. And everybody was like, wait a minute, what's going on? Tell us a little bit about that real quick here in our wrestling rewind. I asked him this, it was right after his trial. The w, with the, the lawsuit and me and him were just having a conversation in the elevator and I'm like did you really not sign that contract till the day of the show he's like yeah he's like you never know with them he's like I was he's like I had the contract sitting in my house for two weeks he's like I just <laughs> I didn't trust them for anything I was expecting them to do something I was expecting some shenanigans and I'm like oh my god that makes sense and he's like I signed it before I left, I brought it with me and I get, handed it to Vince. He's like, because I was scheduled to win the title. He's like, I was still not trusting them. 
to come through on their end of the bargain on some things. And they did. And I handed them the pay- the contract and said, here you go. But it was such an awesome event. Just the, the roar when he came out <laughs> was just nuts when he won the title. It was nuts. Blowing the kiss to Vince. Going up through into the, into the fans and walking out. It was just one of the great iconic moments in not even just WWE history, but pro wrestling history. All right, Steve, where can folks uh, find your stuff and uh, follow you on social media? If they so choose you can to get more follow- breaking news like we had here on two <laughs> middle. Tony Khan news will be coming up. I'm going to break that on. I'm going to yeah. break that in a little bit here. Okay. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram S Mulehausen Jr. That's S M U E H L H A U S E N J R. And you can find all my stuff on thezone.com. Got a lot of couple different features last week. All right, Steve. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for the info. We'll talk again soon. All right, guys. We'll talk in a couple weeks. Time for this week's misspeak of the week. And our winner is White House Press Secretary Jan Sackey. She was talking to reporters at a briefing last week about the importance of getting people vaccinated and trying to convince the unvaccinated to get the shot. Here's what she had to say. Hence, we are quite focused on communicating directly with those people. Hence, our special guest today uh, about why it's important to get vaccinated, why these vaccines are safe, why uh, they can still kill you, even if you are under the age of 27. We need to be clear and direct about our messaging. Clear and direct. <laughs> Clear and direct. These vaccines can kill you. Oh. We want you to get vaccinated. Oh, my God. There's probably a better way that could have been said. I <laughs> believe what she meant was the COVID can kill people under the age of 27. Not sure, but that's what I think. Of course, she followed up with that by noting the need to be clear and direct about messaging. <laughs> yes. Yes, she does. Yes. Well, the other thing to note there. Uh, that's the first time in a while that I've heard somebody use hence twice in consecutive sentences. Yes. I don't hear you say that very often. No hensing from you. Well, hence, that is this week's misspeak of the week. This week in Cleveland history, we go to July 26th. Of 1884, the first electric streetcar runs in Cleveland as the East Cleveland Railway Company operates a car for a mile on Garden Street, which is also Central Avenue, going to Quincy. And it was touted as the first electric railroad for public use in America. Let's bring in our Cleveland historian, John Grabowski. Talk about this electric streetcar beginning here in Cleveland. Well, you know, it's it's kind of interesting because this gets into the larger story of how do you get around in a growing city like Cleveland. And, uh, the, you know, the image that a lot of students have is everybody had a horse and a buggy. Well, they, they didn't. And as the city grew, particularly by the 1880s, and was spreading eastward rapidly, you needed transportation. So it was rail transportation. It was light rail with horse-drawn cars. Now, there were several issues with horse-drawn cars. One was with hard on the horses. Many of them would drop dead from exhaustion. The other thing was there was a certain kind of pollution they left behind on the street. Uh, <laughs> another matter. And, and, and the third thing was it just wasn't fast enough. It was, it was hard for people, the, the horse car driver, to 
control the horses. And, and Cleveland actually suffered something called an epizootic back at that time. It was an epidemic among the horses who pulled the cars and that really stymied transportation. So the, you know, the idea of an electric streetcar had been around for a while. And uh, there, there are two people, Edward Bentley and uh, Walter Knight, who wanted to do this. Knight, I believe, is an officer in the patent office. And uh, they went to Cleveland and they approached uh, uh, Mr. Brush, Charles F. Brush, the, the great inventor, the uh, product of Euclid, Ohio. He had invented the dynamo, would invent the arc lamp. And uh, they began experimenting in his factory grounds with an electric streetcar. He actually took a dynamo, which was to generate electricity, reversed it to use it as a motor. And they started this out on Garden Street in 1884. Uh, this, this story is interesting because they took an old horse car and uh, they, they retrofitted it, if you will, or refitted it to, uh, to an electric power. Uh, and, and it worked. Uh, ladies thought it gave a great ride. The uh, conductor or the driver felt it was easier to run than having a horse draw it. It ran for about 1.5 miles. Uh, but it really didn't work well. Um, uh, several things impeded it. One is the tracks that they laid for the horse cars were lighter than were necessary for something like an electric streetcar. Uh, the, the other issue was they decided to uh, get the juice, so to speak, not from a wire overhead, but from a trench down below. Uh -huh. So you have a wire in a trench and you have a rainy city and you begin to have problems. So it had teething problems. And it only sure. lasted, I think, for, for shortly over a year, but essentially it, it set the mode. And uh, from that day on, the, the horse car was, was going to see its demise. And Cleveland goes to all kinds of forms of urban transport. We even had cable cars at one time. Mm -hmm. uh, Frank Haas Robeson ran those. But this is one of the biggest businesses of the late 19th, early 20th century, pre-automotive. Now, the city did not own the streetcar lines. Streetcar lines were privately financed. They got franchises from the city to run on certain streets and there were all kinds of shenanigans that went along to get those franchises. <laughs> people got their palms greased at city council uh, and eventually we had a number of streetcar lines they would consolidate into the big con and the little con you get into tom l johnson his argument for municipal transit and the streetcar uh, three cent fare but we're looking at a city by 1900 it's over 300,000 people 800,000 people by 1920 most of them don't have cars they need to get back and forth to work. So the streetcar is before the internal combustion. It, it is it. And then you can take this off into electric interurbans. Mm, it's out okay. of Gates Mills giving a talk about the origins of Gates Mills. And it's there because there was a mill there a long time ago, but it burgeons as a suburban community when the uh, Cleveland and Eastern Interurban Line was run through there. So, huh. you, you know, we're talking about electric transit now. It was yeah. then. Yep. The question is, how do you get the power for the electricity while you burn coal for yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why Cleveland for this first electric streetcar? Was there a strategy to it or was it just a businessman who knew one another and they happened to be in the Cleveland area? Yeah, I, I think it may have been Brush that attracted uh, because okay. Brush had a reputation. And as I said, one of them was an officer for electrical patents in the patent office. And after they built the line in Cleveland, they wanted to build pioneer lines in other cities uh, around the country. So it it happens here first. We, we like to remember that, but we, we we don't remember that it didn't run for that long, but it, it, it set the trend for things to come. So, yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, always very interesting stuff. John, thanks for your, thanks for your time and your expertise. My pleasure. And that is another This Week in Cleveland History. 
Hear ye, hear ye. All right, time to take another look at an interesting law that maybe, you know, kind of odd law, I guess you might say. In Iowa, it is illegal to kiss for more than five minutes. Huh. Can't kiss for more than five minutes. In public? That just says you can't get, I, wow. I'm guessing, I don't know. I don't know how they would know if you're doing it in private. I, uh, We're always watching. Yeah. I, you think the police walk around with stopwatches and 58, 59, break it up. Oh, gosh. If you and Eowyn go on vacation in Iowa, because I know that that's a... Uh, a big uh, uh, tourist destination for you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do you think you'd run into a problem with this law? I think it'd be okay. I really okay. do. Yep, we control ourselves, no doubt. <laughs> Full control. Set a timer, 455, just to be yep. safe. Give a few Okay. Well, there's no word on when or why this law was enacted. But, like I say, that is reportedly the case in Iowa. So... No smoochy smoochy for too long in Iowa. Keep your lips to yourself. All right, Ken, we're putting a bow on episode 65 of Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland. I am giddy uh, with the idea that Virgil listened to our show. I'm wondering, do you think CM Punk will contact Steve Muehlhausen to speculate on his future at AEW. That's a possibility. I, I guess at this point in time, we got to watch what we say because yeah. some of these bigger guys could be listening and it could be down to just one guy on two middle-aged men in Cleveland. Let's yes. be honest. Yes. So. And by the way, hello, Virgil. Yep. Thanks for uh, we listening. also want to thank, in addition to thanking Virgil, let's thank Steve Muehlhausen from the zone, D-A-Z-N.com. Thanks to John Grabowski, our Cleveland history expert. Thanks to Dusty Sloan, our main man on sports, and our pickleballer, Lynn Cherry. Will you be playing any pickleball anytime soon, Ken? You know what? I have been looking for something else to do with the kids. We've been obviously playing golf, and they're starting to start some events here pretty soon with cross-country and soccer and all that stuff. But I think that's something I will try. And knowing how big the sport has gotten – you know, we talked about, you know, you need some rackets and you need some ball, wiffle balls and things like that. That's going to cost you 60 bucks for four of them. I think we could find courts to go play on. So we don't have to worry about making our own. I, it'd be very interesting. I, I think that'd be kind of cool. You know, maybe we could have a battle between the Dworsnik kids and Ken Dworsnik and the Klopp children and Mr. Oh Klopp. What do you think? Oh, boy. Wow. That's, Let's go. Yeah. Shoot some video. Put it on uh, Twitter. Twitter. Middle-aged men in Cleveland. Yeah. You could send us an email about it. That's so. right. Where would they send that email? You need to tell me. I don't. Oh, know. that's uh, two m a m i c l e at gmail.com. The Gmail I got down. I just yeah. had too many passwords. As many people, too many passwords, codes, and emails that I have to remember. So I yes. do apologize for that. Yes. You want to tell us your bank uh, code? No, not really. Okay. All right. Very good. Not really. But thank right. you. Well, we'll, we'll just speculate about that. If anybody, yep, but I, if you notice, I, if your bank gets locked because too many people try, you know right. why. Or we give out phone numbers. We can give oh, each other's phone numbers yeah. out and we see how that goes. That's always yeah. a fan. Favorite. Five, 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 one, two, one, two is mine. And uh, we'll go from there. Hey, next week on the show, who do we have, Ken? 
Larry Studnicki. Excuse me. Another gentleman who's dipped into music and uh, should be a very interesting interview. He was involved in many different things on the corporate level and has always been a, wanted to be a part of music. And he's part of this group called High Plains Drifter and great mm. music. Very nice guy. And so looking forward to that conversation with him to talk about his band and where they're going to be touring and, and listen to some of his music. So that should be fun next week. All right. Well, High Plains Drifter. I wonder if that's any relation to Clint Eastwood. Well, I guess we'll find out. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Have a great week. Continue to do your things you're doing. And I will just let everyone know about this. We're two middle-aged men in Cleveland. Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland is sponsored by Anchor.fm. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And by Westminster AV. Custom audio-visual packages for all occasions.